Well, good morning, and I bring uh, greetings to you from Church of the Resurrection in Charlottesville. It's a joy to be with you uh, all uh, today. Uh, again, my name is Claude Acho. I'm the uh, planting pastor for Church of the Resurrection in Charlottesville, and I'm thrilled for the warm welcome uh, to receive uh, that from you all here at Incarnation. Uh, my family and I we were able to be at the building dedication service here uh, just a few weeks ago, so it's a joy to get to be back uh, in such a wonderful space and, and actually get to experience it uh, on a Sunday morning, so we're grateful. Um, I know Anglicans preach short sermons, so I'm not going to give any more uh, prefatory comments, um, and I'm going to get right to, to the task uh, at hand um, in all seriousness. Um, I'd like to uh, focus our attention um, on uh, one, uh, one question, kind of one theme, uh, and, and I'll pose it to you like this, um, with this observation, that if you ask religious or irreligious people if they know what the word blessed means, I think most people would immediately respond to you and say, yes. But then if you follow up and say, okay, give me your definition of that word, then I think you would find people, religious and irreligious, would would struggle to, to actually put a tangible definition on the idea of what it means to be blessed. But as you heard from our readings, this notion of blessing Though it might be foggy to us, it's crucial to the prophet, to the psalmist, and to Jesus himself. It's crucial for understanding the right direction of human living according to God's revelation. This is a crucial word, though it's foggy in our understanding. And I think the way that we get clarity is by focusing in on Psalm 1, and I think the first step into the gift and the beauty of the Lord's teaching in Psalm 1 is to wrap our heads and our hearts around what it means to be blessed. And the way to do that is not to try to get through the fog of that word, but to drill a little bit deeper and to understand that the idea of blessing in these texts and in Psalm 1 is drawing us into the idea of the good life. And this is where things open up. If people are foggy about the idea of what it means to be blessed when you ask them to define it, on the other hand, if you ask someone to say, tell me your vision of the good life, well, here we go. Get a pen and a paper, be ready to scribe all their hopes, all their dreams, all their demands, all their wishes, all their ambitions. And this is really what we're hearing when we hear the idea of what it means to be blessed. The picture that is painted for us in in Psalm 1 is not just the idea of blessing in the sense of receiving God's kindness. It's the idea of blessing as in existing in a state of flourishing. It's living life inside of God's divine congratulations because you're living and flourishing in God's way according to God's design. So in other words, when the psalmist is saying, blessed is the one, if we wanted to translate that into sort of modern uh, colloquial common speech, we might just say, hey, here is a person that in the middle of a fractured world is somehow living the good life according to God. That's what we have here in Psalm 1. Therefore, Psalm 1 is a great gift that God has given to us, that God has given to me, that God has given to you. Maybe you know this psalm inside and out. Maybe this was an early text that you memorized in the uh, King James Version or the great uh, NIV 84. Whatever it is, it's a fresh gift that God is giving to you today. And the gift of Psalm 1 is that it's instruction 
and inspiration toward the good life with God according to God. You notice right away, I could tell you a smart room of people, you notice right away that part of the good life requires embracing certain things and rejecting other things. Give me a nod of your head if you notice that right away in Psalm 1. Very clear. There are certain things that we need to embrace, and there are certain things that, that we need to give a stiff arm to and to say, no, not, not for me, because I want this good life that God is gifting and promising to me. We, we have to embrace, we have to know what to embrace and, and know what to reject, and that's part of the power of Psalm 1. It's the power of contrast all throughout the psalm. It's the this and not that. Throughout the psalm, we get the contrast between two counsels, the counsel of the wicked and the counsel of God's, God's law, God's revelation. We get the contrast of the two images, what you'll become based on the path of counsel that you'll choose. You either become grounded like this tree in a desert, flourishing, bearing fruit for others, become grounded, or you become groundless, chaff blowing in the winds, of judgment. Then there's two ultimate outcomes, divine embrace or divine rejection. And this sort of teaching is, again, it's a gift for us because, we, let's face it, there are a lot of competing ideas on the market about what it means to live the good life. There are a lot of things that are presented to us. There are a lot of things warring inside of us that want to define what it means to flourish to be blessed, to live a true and good life. I mean, just, just think with me over the course of your own life. How often has your conception of the good life, true flourishing, how often has that shifted and changed? Just within your own self. Maybe a follow-up question. How glad are you that what you thought was the good life then is not what you would call the good life now? Amen? Somebody should testify. <laughs> so, so we know that this idea of the good life, what it means, to be, this ebbs and flows. There's all these voices competing for, for, for us to grab hold of their idea of that, and we're even feeling warring within ourselves. And so we need this sort of instruction. All of that proves that to live the good life, to be truly blessed, means that we need a sort of instruction and inspiration that actually would come from outside of us something that would come down from above and, and lead us into this good life. And what Psalm 1 calls the counsel of the wicked is the opposite of that. The counsel of the wicked uh, can really be boiled down to thinking that the good life is found through my way, their way, or any way but God's way. That's what you could boil it down to. It's easy to think about the counsel of the wicked as sort of, uh, or the counsel of the ungodly, uh, it's easy to think about it in terms of grand sins, murder, theft, uh, adultery, uh, violence. And that, that's true, but, but that's not the full picture. Listen even to the, to the language again of the psalmist. It says that the flourishing person doesn't walk, the flourishing person doesn't sit. The flourishing person doesn't stand. These, these verbs describe not just big, isolated acts of sin or rebellion, but a progressive pattern of living rooted in ungodliness, rooted in sin, rooted in scoffing, 
which all of that really boils down to this, that the counsel of the ungodly is about life not governed by God, but governed by ourselves through the rejection of God. And to flourish in life means that you and I must take serious the diversity and the popularity of the good life according to the counsel of the wicked. And we must do as Ice Cube says, we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. (laughs) Because the modern mindset of the good life is is self-defined. It's getting everything you wanted And there are as many variations of that good life as there are people. It's your life. You make it good according to you. The modern mindset would remix Psalm 1 to say, blessed is the one who achieves their goals. Blessed is the one who does as they please. Blessed is the one who can do all of that and at the same time find a way to make ends meet. And blessed is the one who cares not for the opinion of others. There's some good in that, but not enough to steer a whole life. There's the good life as self-definition. There's the good life as achievement and success. There's the the good life as uh, generic family values, which are good, but again, not ultimate. There's the good life as civic uh, consciousness and, and activism, making the world's wrongs right. All of these things have grains of truth, but are not enough to sustain the human soul and reunite us to God and truly lead us to flourish. They're all self-defined, self-governed. They're flourishing according to your way. And as we heard from Jeremiah the prophet, we know this really isn't an option. Listen again to what Jeremiah says, speaking as the mouthpiece for the Lord. He says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the one who trusts in man, trusts in self, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So this is not an option. So what now? Well, the Lord is gracious and he meets us and he loves us and he brings a clarity that cuts through our confusion and cuts through our contradiction. Psalm 1 simplifies everything. Though there's variations on our self-directed visions of the good life, we get a clear picture in Psalm 1 that at the end of the day, with all the variations and remixes, things really boil down in two categories, the counsel of the wicked or the counsel of God. And here is the instruction for us, that the good life of flourishing is not self-governed or governed by others, but it's governed by the good and gracious Lord. And the way that this happens, the gateway into this flourishing, the journey into the good life, is the Lord's invitation to delight in his law. This is our way in to delight in true instruction, to delight in being ruled by the one who made us and the one who loves us, to delight in the one who knows good because he is good and then calls us up and in to true life in the midst of a world that's pretty chaotic. This is, this is the way in. This is why Psalm 1 tells us that the flourishing person delights in the law of the Lord and will meditate on this law day and night. Part of the instruction for us here is to Move into the reality, friends, uh, that you know, but that uh, the Lord wants to remind you of, that you will live by a counsel. You will live by a law. You will live by some vision of the good life as your compass. Do not simply follow yourself, 
Do not simply uh, follow visions that excise the divine. Rather, take again and again the invitation into flourishing through delighting and meditating on the Lord's law. I like this language of, uh, of meditating. Uh, it's not so much an emptying out, but a, but a filling up, a turning over from every angle and every side, the sort of ruminating on. I think the best example of, of this that I see in my life is when my sons uh, see a sports highlight that they enjoy. Coming from Memphis, um, we saw Ja Morant play quite often, uh, just a very short, uh, short man that can just leap high <laughs> and, and just dunk the ball with, with, with violence and power. It's, it's breathtaking. And when my kids would see this, they, they would watch the clip and they'd want to see it again and again and again. I'm ready to move on after one. <laughs> I've seen people dunk before. <laughs> But they want to see it again and again from a new angle. They want to think about it. Oh, what was it like? What would it be like to be the ball thrown through the rim? What would it have been like to be the defender jumped? They want to think about it from every angle possible. Really, what they want to do is they want to meditate on this. They want to meditate on this miraculous feat, this thing that they can't do but that they're drawn to. And that's really what the psalmist is telling us, that, that uh, the Lord's law is our way into the good life because as we meditate on it, what happens to us is that we see the beauty of the Lord. We see the beauty of the one who, who in love wants to cover us and govern us, who wants to rescue us from our own folly, but not just our folly, our own weakness. He wants to rescue us from those moments where we want to walk in the path of righteousness, but we're, we're too weak to do it. And as we meditate on his law, our hearts are filled with his presence and we're drawn up and into the good life. As we meditate on his law, we remember that the Lord loves us and he loves us so much that he's given for us, his only son, to redeem us and to rescue us and to lead us into eternal life. So you have to ask yourselves, which counsel will you seek to live by? Scripture becomes a way to flourishing. It becomes a remedy for the confused. It becomes balm for the sinful human heart because Scripture is the life-giving medicine of the word that leads us to the word, Christ himself. Love the way Augustine describes the scriptures. He says, for now, treat the scriptures of God as the face of God and melt in its presence. I think if you take that and put that in the context of Psalm 1, you can say that Psalm 1 tells us that as we seek his face, we flourish. And rather than melting, we become planted. A tree planted in streams of living water. I wonder if I have any visual learners in the house today. What I love about Psalm 1 is it gives us instruction and then it moves to the visual to give us inspiration. Who among us has not seen a tree? Who among us has, has, has not seen a tree that from afar you thought was flourishing and you came close and you realized it was rotting? But who among us has not seen a tree that is strong, rooted, and beautiful with branches uh, going out in every direction and you look up and you see leaves shaking in the wind and you see that the birds have claimed this good and strong tree as their home and y'all better move out the way. And you realize like this, this is just beautiful. And I love how Psalm 1 wants to instruct us but also inspire us and to say to us, we can, we can be this tree. This is what it looks like to, to flourish, to be a tree, firm, planted, bearing fruit for the flourishing of others. Do you want to be a tree that bears fruit, or do you want to be chaff that is carried away to and fro with every wind and wave of confusion? Psalm 1 is powerful partly because really the whole story of the Bible is, is contained here. 
in these trees and in these images. Uh, I was speaking about this passage again with, um, with my kids, and they were uh, learning about it, this, this, this psalm, so it, it mapped out well, and the words were uh, on, the, um, on the, the wall of the kitchen. And so I asked my son, hey, what do you think this, this means? Um, usually when I ask my son something about that, he says to me, my oldest says, says to me, well, you're the pastor. <laughs> why, why are you asking me these things? But, but this time he, look, he looked at me and, and looked as if, he didn't say that, but he gave me the look that said that. I was like, this is the easy one. And he, he touches the word tree and he says, hey, the, tree, the tree is like the tree in Eden, the tree of life. It's the, the, the water. The water is the, like the Holy Spirit. And the leaves and the fruit, are the, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So he's basically said, the way this, the psalm is saying is when we do this, we, we, get, we are brought back to Eden and we flourish the way we were made to. And, and I think there, there's something there that with this vision of the good life, we're drawn back into the life that we were made for. We're drawn back into what our first parents, the first humans lost. They, they didn't walk in the counsel of the godly. They, they walked in the counsel of the wicked. They rejected the good rule of life with God for self-definition, self-governance. And into the world, they brought the bad fruit of sin and death, decay and chaos. And yet, God in his mercy is calling us back into restoring, renewing, re-upping the life that was lost. And that's what it means to flourish, is to be governed by God, invited through his revelation and his grace into what we were made for, which was lost and ruined, but now in Jesus is being restored. This is the good life. And as our gospel reading reminds us, uh, the borders of this good life are expanding. Jesus expands this. Jesus says the people that we look at and think that they're cursed, in his name, through him, they're actually flourishing. And, and how, how, can, how can Jesus do this? How can he expand the definitions of the good life? How can he call so many people into this flourishing with God? Well, the way that he can do this is because he is the Psalm 1 man. He's the only one who has walked not in the counsel of the wicked, but walked truly in devotion to the Lord. And then what he did was the work of climbing onto that tree, dying for our sin, so that through his sacrifice, those of us who were destined to be chaff would now become planted in the waters of his love, his blood, his sacrifice, and we who rightly on our own are scoffers and sinners would be made saints. That through Jesus and his grace, those who are actually chaff are now becoming trees. Those who are grounded and confused and rootless are now becoming planted, and we flourish and we bear fruit in his name for all to see. This is the good news of what it means to be blessed. This is the good life with God, restored to him and renewed, receiving the good life we were made for, which was lost, but now through Jesus is being restored. Thanks be to God.